Welcome to the cocoon, where the 99% transform into 100%. I'm your host, Michael Baker, and you're listening to the Open Door Podcast Series. Please welcome my guest from Portland, Oregon, Thomas. Thomas, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> how are you? I'm doing... <laughs> <laughs> we we just had a we've we've been having a moment. We've been in here talking for a while. And we've had some mm. quite enlightening conversations, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, so you're you're my angel today, actually. Honestly, you're you're my angel today. You really <laughs> helped me out through uh, something I didn't even know what was going <laughs> on. So, and we discovered that um, I think we're going to be doing a, some podcast uh, uh, around some other topics. Absolutely, that sounds good based on our conversation so I, far. I think so too. Yeah. All right. So, well, you know, I have all these questions here and, you know, we're going to ask some things. So, Thomas, you are a designer. Yes. <laughs> a designer of clothes. Some amazing, I got to tell you, um, I met you mm-hmm. through Eli, mm-hmm. who's been on this podcast, who are mm-hmm. part of. Um, Eli was like, you need to meet this guy. I think you I think you guys are going to get along and I think that you guys can have a a great time together and you can, um, you know, help him out with some things. And uh, he makes these clothes. And I'm like, oh, really? And I saw some of the stuff he had. I'm like, I kind of really didn't believe it. I'm like, there's a guy here that, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I met you and and I, the clothes, and I'm, I, I, I just, this is like my dream to have clothes that fit your body so perfectly. It literally, I remember Shannon, she was, you know, the day that uh, we went over there, she's like, it looks like it was made exactly for your body. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so let's talk about design. Okay. All right. You're a designer of, of clothing. Yes. Um, uh, first of all, how did you get into being a designer? Well, I studied design at the University of Cincinnati and apparel design specifically. So I studied at a fashion program there and... Um, it's, I'm from Ohio, so mm. that's it was very, Ohio. Yeah, I'm what? from Dayton, Ohio. Oh my gosh! And one of the world's best <laughs> fashion design programs happens to be in Cincinnati. Really? Yeah, it's really weird. I um, would never have imagined. No, most people don't know about it, but the School of Design is is an incredible school. And um, I originally wanted to go to school in New York, um, mm. but the cost compared to the school, um, the University of Cincinnati, was so incredibly hi that my dad was like no <laughs> you're not doing it there you can you can do it here and you know come to find out that it was a better choice for many reasons it was just as um it was just as uh, accomplished as parsons however because it's in ohio it was easier to focus on school versus mm. all the things that go on in new york city i mean all that partying and Yes. And also, uh, the school had a, a, um, it was a five-year degree, and it had one year of practical work experience where Mm -hmm. you worked in the industry, and I worked in New York. Oh, you did? Yeah. So I got to go there and actually work on 7th Avenue, but also be a student Mm -hmm. and um, see it before I got out. So it was pretty amazing. What was that like, going to New York and from, Mm -hmm. you know, this kid from Ohio? (laughs) Um. Great. I in a way, I almost felt like it. I, it was what I was supposed to be doing, so mm. it didn't scare me. I I almost acted like I lived there when I got there, hmm. and um, it felt very natural. Um, in a way, it's overwhelming because 
you know, there's no space and there's no personal space. I mean, people are crowded and yeah. I don't, I don't in, like that. But, in New York. Mm-hmm. But there's so much rigor and success in the industry and the, the bar is so high that it was just an amazing thing to be exposed to that at 19 years old hmm. and to understand it. And it's one thing to be interested. It's, you know, it's common for people to be interested in fashion and to like style and to hmm. maybe want to wear interesting clothing, but it's a whole nother thing to be in that world hmm. and see how it actually happens and to learn how to do that yourself, which is why I was there. Hmm. Living in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, how does a kid from I mean, from Ohio, he goes mm -hmm. to New York, I mean, were you, did you have thoughts of this, of course, as being a, as a child of, I want to be a designer. What was, what, I mean, how did you discover this within yourself? Well, it's funny because, <clears throat> well, I was raised Catholic and I went to a school, um, a Catholic school for six years and I had to wear a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> you had to wear one of those? Mm -hmm. Like the same one every day? White shirt and navy blue pants. Oh my. Yeah, exactly. And so I think because I was restricted in terms of what I was allowed to wear as a child, that when I went to a public school, I just sort of busted out <laughs> <laughs> and learned how to express myself through mm. clothing. And mm. it changed the way that people related to me. Um, and I noticed that. And so I found that even though I didn't really understand it, I think I understood it so somehow, you know? Hmm. And so that's sort of where it started. And then um, I had a sister, I have a sister, I didn't have a sister, <laughs> and, but w <laughs> she was a year younger than me in school uh -huh. and she dressed kind of not that hot. <laughs> and I really, you know, like she'd go, we'd have those, days where you go get your picture taken for right. school and she'd wear something awful. <laughs> and I'd just be like, geez. So I started to kind of like impose myself on her. And in a way she became my muse in the third grade. Like I started to dress my sister. I was just gonna say, and did I you dress still, your sister I'd up? I still do. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> does she appreciate it now? She looks fantastic. I bet she does. Yeah. Did she appreciate it then? No, she hated it. <laughs> But as soon as boys started to pay attention, she was like, hey, can you help me do this? You know? But of course she did. <laughs> for, no, but uh, like, she kind of fought it because she was super athletic tomboy at oh. first. And I was like, you can't wear that. Oh. And no, although I think tomboy is cool. Mm -hmm. I do. I love it. But like she was doing it in a rug rat way, not in a cool right. way. So she's, yeah, she's developed her own sense of style as a result of it. And, mm -hmm. you know, she and I still work together on you know, her wardrobe, but, um, uh, it's not, it's, it's more of a pleasure than it is, uh, you know. Okay. So when you say you help her with the, you, obviously you have this, this, uh, you've been designing for quite a while. Well, professionally since professionally. I was, yeah, since I was 20. Since you were 20. Did you find it difficult to be, you know, in the industry? I mean, what is it, what is that like? People think of design and, you know, like, oh, I'm a designer. There's all these ideas of what that what that means or uh mm -hmm. what that looks like or what you know designers do um what's your take on that i mean what is did you always perceive it as this famous luxurious thing that you know to be a designer or were you like no i just this is mm -hmm. what i want to do and well it's different um 
Well, the perception now is completely distorted because of media and all the attention on the industry. Um, hmm. So as, you know, when I was, you know, like a teenager imagining what it would be like, my perception of it was probably a little bit more accurate. And um, <clears throat> so hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure. I think what I think, what drew me to the industry and what, you know, sort of created the uh, imagination of what mm. that could potentially be like was like that. the the beauty of what can happen when someone actually creates something pure, mm. which is so different than the hype. And so past the hype is that there is this creation of something new, this creation of beauty and, and something... Um, individual that comes from really high end design, mm. and that's what I was interested and drawn to. Mm. And so that in, that in, involves work and a lot of work, right? And yeah, and fo <laughs> and focus, not mm. parties and you know <laughs> attitude. You know, so I think that that's how people think it is now. They're like, oh, you just want to be a designer? What right. does that mean? You wear cool right. boots and you yell right. at people? Well, kind of. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but really, you got to actually do something, right? And you got to have some something to offer. You know, there's, I love that when you said that about, you know, how you imagine things and, uh, you, you know, your, your way of doing it was to create something beautiful. Um, and again, I, I think perceptions, I'm all about the perceptions that people think, you know, I'm a designer or I'm this or that. And you say media hyped it up. What is, can you, can you talk about that just a little bit? On the like, project one, I think it's just. Okay, so, so let's, let's talk about <clears throat> real design as opposed to the hyped up design and, mm -hmm. and how you perceive that. Well, in, in, in high fashion, the one thing that is very clear is that there is a lead designer and that designer's vision is followed by the people that work for that person. Okay. So it's more like, you know, uh, a hierarchy that exists because everyone believes in this idea mm. with that designer. As the visionary. As the visionary and people fall in line in a way that I think is complementary, not subservient. You know, everybody has their area of expertise. Um, you know, I think the the hype, which is the, you know, more of what we're seeing today is more about acting out and behaving in a way that is abusive and, you right. know, kind of, you know, beating people into some sort of like competition or submission to get what you want. and. And I think, you know, the industry is pretty hardcore. It's it's not an you know, it's not a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think when it's aligned, it can be very um it can be very fruitful and um produce some things that are miraculous. Right. But that doesn't happen when people are, you know, <laughs> not <laughs> not doing what they need to actually do. Right. So, you know, it's almost like you say being a designer, you know, you think about a chef, you know, there's, there's, they have um, mm -hmm. sous chefs and all mm -hmm. that. Is it kind of like that in a way where you really have to work with a team of people? Because you can't do this by yourself, right? Or can you? Well, which ones are we talking about now? Are we still in New York? Or are we here? <laughs> okay, let's, 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 well, there you go. Well, what's the difference? The difference? Well, okay, so 
difference in terms of large companies here okay, on the west wait, let's talk about large companies well as opposed to. so larger companies design democratically so there's like a lot of people making a lot of decisions and and ultimately what happens i think in those situations this is on the west coast in the east coast it's mm -hmm. definitely more of that purest thing that i was talking about specifically mm -hmm. in higher fashion i see but out here, it gets more democratic and there's more people involved, like I said. So what happens is mm. we end up with more diluted product at the end of the day. It's not super um, inventive in the same respects. So I think that's the difference. Um, what I've done is since I've worked in both arenas, yeah. I've focused on the classic way of working, which is what I learned in school, which is what I learned um, working on 7th Avenue and what I have done in creating my own brand. Mm. So um, it, it isn't about the hype of New York, but it is about the purity of it. Mm. And then, um, you know, I've learned a lot out here on the West Coast working for larger brands. And so I can kind of put those things together. So it's Synthesize not just, it. yeah, so it's not just, you know, really out there clothing that people can't, it's not, it's not accessible or it's not just derivative, but it's, you know, and I like to to say that it's about, well, I used to work for Marc Jacobs, and one of the things that he said that I'll yeah. never forget is it, that um, it's easy to make, like, weird clothes that people won't wear and hard and easy to make clothes that mm. um, are very common that people really don't want to wear, but the goal is to make clothes that are interesting that people want to wear. That and I think that's, yeah. that's in between. And I love that quote. I think that that's, mm -hmm. that's been something that's followed me through then. Through this whole time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about, you said uh, a brand. You, you created mm -hmm. a brand. Mm -hmm. Hugar? Mm -hmm. Hugar. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, when did this happen? And these are the clothes that, of course, that I'm yeah. dying to everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is this jacket, yeah, this yeah. shirt? Huh. It's, yeah, phenomenal. So, Well, so like I said, I was in New York working at for Marc Jacobs um, when I was like out of school. Okay. And then I ended up coming out to the West Coast, and I worked ultimately here for Nike. Mm. And um, so uh, one of the things that, in all the places that I've worked, it's been more on the fact, like, sort of the fashion sports street side of of sport and of um, different brands that I've worked with. Mm. And so I've seen, um, you know, sort of the merging of both of those worlds mm. over the past decade. And it's been huge. Mm -hmm. It's been a major global shift in the fashion industry where the luxury of high-end fashion and um, sort of the global sport market have merged into one. Yeah. And so I started to do a lot of research on that in the, around 2000. And um, that kind of synthesized into a small project that I did at Nike, which um, became Ugar ultimately, which was um, a brand that I created with a friend of mine from Nike after we both left. Oh, oh amazing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's the brand that we have today, mm -hmm. that you have today, I should mm -hmm. say. And I say we because I'm like... <laughs> You just, have you have it too. I love this. I love these clothes. It's just I can't get over it. it it's uh, there's just so many questions I have about it. But um, all right. So it was what I mean. How did you what what inspired this line, this particular line that you're that you're unveiling? Well, you know, it came from that movement which I spoke about already, which is the sport 
um, sort of the global sport fusion with mm-hmm. higher fashion. And um, I was very, uh, I, I worked for Levi Strauss in San Francisco in, in the 90s. And when I was there, the emergence of Prada Sport came out at the time. And mm. this incredible designer named Neil Barrett kind of birthed that brand. And it was really the first of, of those types of brands mm-hmm. where you have a higher fashion label mixing utility and sport into their product mm-hmm. mix, which takes it away from being sort of like, you know, that, that it makes it more accessible, which right, is what's that, interesting to right. me. That's interesting. And I've always been, that more people want to wear. They're right. like, I, I mean, there's, <clears throat> a, there's just plainly, you know, when I, you talk about that, that view of fashion, I look at these things and I'm like, what in the right. hell is that? Who's going to, yes, I think it's interesting, whatever, but a lot of that stuff, I would, I never, would never wear it. Well, there's this thing about higher fashion where sometimes it's restrictive. And I think you put something on and it looks fantastic and you can't move. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's oh right. my God, I look so great if I don't put my hands anywhere. You know? Right, exactly. And so I've, you know, like I said, I've always been an athlete. And so I find that I would wear certain pieces that mm-hmm. don't do that. And then, you know, I'm in the industry, so I have to like wear, you know, this stuff. And so, uh, you know, Prada Sport really changed that. And then the next brand that really came about was a collaboration that Yoji Yamamoto did with Adidas in 2000, 2001, somewhere mm-hmm. around that time where they created Y3, which really changed everything. And so all this is happening while I'm, you know, working at Nike and um, other places. And then, um, you know, uh, my friend David and I, who started Ugar, were approached by a private investor and we um, started to kind of muse on different ideas. Mm. Uh, originally, Ugar was conceived as a sort of inspired by street soccer. Ooh. As the original I can sort see of that. category, I can see that. I can, mm-hmm. but it evolved past that because I think the specific category, you know, sort of myopic viewpoint is sort of done in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and that you know, multi-use, dual-purpose garments is really where it's at, and that could be for a multitude of categories, not just one. And yeah. so, I look at movement in general. I look yeah. at kinesthetics and fashion as a synonymous thing that has to happen for all good design. Yeah. Okay, fabrics. Your your clothes. I mean, these they're they're so beautifully made. Mm-hmm. And you we had this discussion in, in your mm-hmm. studio. You had these. You have wonderful um, uh, private studio. You have a private studio that you have mm. people come and try things on and buy things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's beautiful, by the way. It's yeah. like it's, it's so cozy. Yeah. And so we were talking. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a mm-hmm. bit. But um, and. Shannon was with me and we were talking about um, how these were made and I had some ideas. You know, when you said something about it being made and I don't know what country it was mm-hmm. and the first thought that people go, well, oh, you know, that's made in that country and you know everything should be made here. Right. Um, it's so funny. You, it really educated me about this. So can mm-hmm. you talk about the fabrics and why you ch- choose these and mm-hmm. then talk about the process in itself and why would you, why would, why would you go do this in another country? I mean, mm-hmm. Uh, You really educate. So can you kind of educate us on that? Well, first of all, like, um, you know, I've worked with large companies all over the, you know, like that produce all over the world. And, you know, the reason behind that is that most countries, we're all good at something. Mm. And, you know, America used to be really great at jeans and T-shirts. And that was kind of what we did. Mm. I mean, I think in terms of, 
being able to produce to be able to produce great garments I here mean, and like here making in America. Them here. Yeah, yeah, and then, and all of the denim's kind of gone offshore since that was the case. Hmm. Um, but we still do pretty good with tubular knits and things. And there's some emerging smaller factories that ca have capabilities, um, but there's a lot of limitations here. There's not a lot of great fabric made, not a lot of world-class fabric here. Um, um, and if you can find good fabric, it's really cost prohibitive. And to build garments here, it's extraordinarily expensive. And people don't really know that. Um, they think it's a great idea, but then they don't really want to spend $400 on a pair of jeans that they can get for 150 So why is it so much? Why would that we be We don't have expensive? the skill or the resources. And so a lot of countries where they're really good at certain things, like, for example, Taiwan's really great at making... Um, performance fabrics much better than anywhere else in the world and um, there's some fabulous sweater knits that come out of Hong Kong and China and wool's very prevalent there and it's really high quality and people don't know this mm. they think it's if it's overseas somehow it's not um, okay and so because the sweatshops you know you think well of, that's you know you know it's a judgment it's it does happen but it also happens here in this country and that's so, what yeah see people well what do you mean by that well i think that people you know underpay a lot of their workers no matter where they live you know so there's all kinds of things i mean it can be a very political right. discussion but right. basically i i kind of distill it down to this if you know the factories that you're working with that's important and they need to be good upstanding factories that pass terms of engagement so that a company can continue to have a relationship with them and that it's ethical and that can happen anywhere in the world yeah so um go to the place i go to the places where they make the most beautiful fabrics and that's what you did mm -hmm. so can you tell one of the stories that you just talked about taiwan and is that where you did you do uh, well all the there? tech the, so the the brand is broken up into a few different categories there's um a tech category which is more um like sort of um sort of like track type mm -hmm. products and there's a sweat category which is more like you know um you know joggers and stuff like mm -hmm. that and base layers and um and then there's a denim category a leather category and um also a sweater category okay so um some of the outerwear and jackets I got from the fabrics from a company called Scholler in Switzerland, mm. which does some of the most beautiful performance fabrics. And they're kind of mixed with luxury. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I have a jacket that's made out of nylon and aluminum. Whoa. And Scholler's like, I think the only company that does that. Uh, not an aluminum? Yeah, it's aluminum. Actually, my mother got the last one. <laughs> no, she just stole it from me when I was home. Of course she did. Oh, she did. <laughs> she did. Oh, that. mom. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in, in with that, with that with about the fabrics, what I what I love about that is you're saying mm -hmm. that there are certain countries or places sections of whatever the world that they're just really are good at that and they also have that's where they make the best material. I mean, that's where you get the best. And so right. why that's where you need to go. Absolutely. And and, th and that's sustainable instead of coming yeah. you know somewhere where they don't have it where they need to go buy it you know ship it over here four mm -hmm. times and then make it here because the the idea is making it here in America see it you know and then you're paying you know five times as much yeah you can pay up to four times as much and the quality will be lower yeah 
So what sometimes you, the, I mean, sometimes the machinery is not available to make it as nicely as I've made it in other places. Right. I've actually had um, some of my product priced here and they couldn't even pr produce it on the same machinery and it was so much more expensive and it wasn't as good. I see. And how did you decide then on the fabrics? I mean, is it just your choice? I mean, did you, you know, mm. come out with the idea to make it with those types of fabrics or was it based upon, um, you know, what criteria? <clears throat> Well, I wanted to have performance fabrics that were beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I did dry fit stuff, but instead of doing it out of polyester, I did it out of nylon. Mm -hmm. And the nylon's gorgeous. And why that? Why? What's the difference? Why poly? I know polyester, but <laughs> um, well, it's you know, again, it it, it infuses that luxury element mm -hmm. into the fabric that doesn't exist when it's not out of that yarn. I see. You know. Um, so, you know, a lot of the sweaters I did mohair instead of just wool. And What's mohair? Mohair is, is a more... is the, What you have on right yard, now? Yeah. That gorgeous... Yeah, gorgeous. yeah this stuff. <laughs> it's beautiful. Everybody pets. Yes. It's <laughs> so it's just, you know, it was typically used a lot more in the 50s and people don't use it. And it's very hard to find, actually. Mm. It's hard to secure this yarn. But it's just, you know, it's just more. It's right. more than regular wool and costs more and it's um, more beautiful. But it has, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of these things that I do that are considered more luxury, they have performance factors in them. And, you know, merino wool is considered a performance fabric, which I use. And, um, you know, a lot of companies, um, you know, do fleece. And instead, I like to do sweater knits as mm. a performance mid layer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I look at wool as a performance fabric. I also look at leather as performance fabric. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, your leather is just out of sight. Which which is the jacket that I love that 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 fits me like I'm I was born in it. The leather sweatshirt. It was the leather sweatshirt. Yeah. That was made for you. <laughs> that's gone, buddy. <gasps> no. Wait, yeah. Joel got that. Oh, that's right. He has <laughs> Joel. <laughs> Joel got He so that. happens to be almost the same size as me, yeah. which is crazy. So um but you have a so you have a lot of different sizes and um mm. um I mean I'm a tiny person, mm -hmm. and for you to have something there that fits me so perfectly just blows my mind. Um, mm -hmm. How does that happen? How do you get these, you know, sizes things from? To fit. What's that? Get things to fit. Yeah, but how can you get it to fit? So, I mean, you, you know, you're not my tailor, you know, mm -hmm. but it fe literally it feels like it was tailored to my body. And when I see other people trying it on, no matter what size they are, it's the same way. How does that happen? How can you get it to fit? I mean, all sorts of different sizes, but it, but it fits so well. Doesn't mm -hmm. feel, you know, a lot of times you go to the store and, you know, there's a large or, you know, this waist, whatever, and, you know, it's hanging or drooping. But this right. stuff fits to every anybody who I've seen. It mm. still fits to their body. Mm. How do you do that? <laughs> well, um, typically things in this country are cut a little bit big in terms of production so that you can accommodate more body types. And I think so what happens is, smaller people have a tough time finding things that fit them really well. And we launched this product in Tokyo mm. and in Europe. So our sizing was more close to the body. And so the way that I did it was like any larger company or mm. fashion house, you fit on a medium. So I fit everything on a medium model. Mm. I made very many prototypes specifically for the pieces that were complicated. There were a series of prototypes that were done far more than most companies would do mm -hmm. to get a really good fit. 
and I focus on armholes and um, areas that you would typically focus on for tailored garments mm. on all sport garments. Oh, I see. That's so I why. treat okay. I treat you know performance products like tailored garments. Yes, and then you get a completely different. <sighs> it's really a perspective, and it's also a lot of extra prototyping. But what you find at the end of that process. Um, and then things are graded from that medium down to an extra small and up to an extra large that each body type will fit it similarly. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, because it just, it's just, I mean. It's really the way that the, all the entire industry works. It's not like I did anything differently. The only thing I did differently is if I needed to do five prototypes, I did five. If I needed to do 12, I did 12. I did it until I that see. medium fit, like, beautiful. Well, that's what I mean. You're taking it to the to mm -hmm. the point where it fits so good and i pushed um, the i pushed the factories as far as i could in terms of i see getting as many prototypes in before we had to go into production i see <sighs> yeah it's awesome well okay so where can people hmm. where what, what, what's going on with the line now i mean i i know what's going on but uh <laughs> tell them you know what where where can where can you purchase this now what's what's going on right now you're you're you're, you're launching this out here in the West Coast, obviously a lot, mm -hmm. but uh, you've already been to somewhere in the in the in Europe. You said, mm -hmm. okay. So, uh, what what about now? What can we? Well, we um, as a brand, we only um, sold overseas for years, and then um, the product I think we was perceived in North America by a lot of the retailers as too fast. Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because retailers God. get in between the consumer and they, <laughs> right. they make decisions for us that we do. don't really want them to. All right. And so I decided, um, we decided to do more product in the States, but to have complete presentation control. So what we've done is only pop-up shops and private yeah. things. And what I found is consumers are definitely ready for this product and that they wonder why it hasn't already been around. So um, in lieu of doing retail, we're doing that. And um, so in Portland, the only place that it can be seen is at my studio. And so what I've done is I've set up, and this is something that I always wanted to do as a designer, is set up a studio in my mm. home, mm. which is part of where I live, which is also where I work. It's awesome. And um, it's kind of like how Chanel had her boutique in Paris. Oh, really? She like had an apartment upstairs and ah. she had her store downstairs. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's similarly thought through that way yeah. where my works, my creative space is in my studio and then I live above it. And so um, I invite private clients in and um, that's how I show the line. And the cool thing is, you know, when you go to a store to see the line, which I've sold to boutiques, they'll buy like, you know, six or 10 pieces. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, hundreds of styles that people can see <laughs> instead of 10. Right. You know, right. So it's pretty overwhelming. You have it's so actually, <laughs> it's actually kind of, you know, a bigger picture. Yeah. For the, for the person to see. Yeah. Discovering it's, it. It's a, it's a beautiful line. And, and I'm just so happy that I, that I, that I met you and, and, and got a chance to <laughs> connect. It's just, you're such an amazing person and i know you don't like to people talking about you but i just thank you because it it, it shows that the creativity and this is all about you know in cocoon and, and all the things that we're doing is it really is people finding their passion you know mm -hmm. and and doing it i mean this obviously hasn't been 
has it been, you know, an easy road all the way along, you know, being a designer coming up and creating this amazing line? I mean, was it, was it easy? Was it, or was it, you know, did you find some challenges with it? I mean, um, <clears throat> maybe you'll surprise me. <laughs> well, it, you know, not easy. I would say it was all consuming, but in a, in a way it was, um, uh, it was a gift to be able to have so much creative license to mm. be able to really drive a brand from the infancy to its maturity. So, I mean, it's an honor, but it was it comes with a huge responsibility. And um, so, to get this thing, you know, off the ground was a labor of love yeah. for sure. And I think that's part of the reason why it's really important that I'm able to work in my home because it really didn't ever stop for like three years. It was like all <laughs> I did <laughs> at midnight, I'd go down to the basement and like look at a hymn. Wow. <laughs> wow. But um, people really appreciate that extra amount of attention. It it shows completely. And, and, and I just, so with that said, so uh, mm-hmm. you're going to be we, they can they can find you at, at your studio, mm-hmm. and uh, this is going to continue. So we're we most certainly are going to um, uh, present you and, and launch you all these things because everybody who's ever come, I mean Joel, you know he's he's been on here. <laughs> I'm like he bought what he's bought in, I don't know a few of your items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every um, time he comes, he gets some. He gets some items, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. what? In the, it, it is it is that phenomenal. I and mean, he's some person. I'm like, how are you? How did you do that? You're just going to buy all these items because they're so, they're just amazing. And they're, and they're, they're not, they're not extremely expensive, but they're not, you know, you're not going to pay no $20 to you get know, the average price points, 240 Exactly. Yeah. You but know. this stuff runs from like 60 bucks up to 1200 And see, <laughs> but, but here's, but here's the thing. And before I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's expensive for clothes. Yeah. When you try this stuff on, you're going, no, I'm getting that. You don't, it, it really is that type of thing. And I thought mm-hmm. I would never say that because I'm like, how can I do it? But mm-hmm. your clothes can be worn. They, it really is a timeless type of a, um, of a, of a look and, and a feel. It's just, I really can't explain it. I'm not, I don't have the words. I'm not, I'm not the fashion designer like that. I right. just know I like clothes. Right. I like stuff that fits. Right. Well, people need to get out of H&M and start investing in their wardrobes. That's, that's Everyone is, deserves yes. to have nice clothing, and you don't have to be rich to buy nice stuff. Right. You need to just value that. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Some of the people I know, I'm like, yeah. they're, they're, not, they're yeah. not rich at all. It's right. like, but they, they're valued the clothing. They valued mm-hmm. the, the artistic and the creativity. Mm-hmm. And you can feel it, and it's right. that special. Right. Um, Right. And so are these for men and women? I mean, it's, it's put out as, as men. I mean, I see it's that. Prim- but, it was primarily but, designed as a, it's conceived and designed as a menswear brand, right. but because it's had some influence in Japan and Europe, there's a lot of pieces that women have actually purchased for themselves. And so I'm seeing that there's just as much opportunity with women. Specifically, you know, it depends on, you know, everybody. It fits slightly different in right. certain clothes, but some pieces really work really well for, for women, women too. Because yeah. you, I mean, you have them come into yeah. your, your studio and, and they buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, you've even told me the story about the the one guy. I'm like, what, what, what is he? Uh, um, the guy you told me that bought the pair of jeans and he bought another one, uh, and he's a oh my god, Perry. <laughs> yeah, he's a tree trimmer. Yes, and, tree and he trimmer. bought a pair of oilcloth jeans that were extraordinarily expensive. And he warmed to trim trees. He's a very stylish tree trimmer, by the way. This is a Portland story. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he trashed them. I mean, I think he wore them every day for like two years. Wow. And then 
he called me really like frantic one day saying, I absolutely have to get another pair of those because I killed them. And these are not, I mean, these are oil cloth. I mean, you could pretty much just rip them, you know, like they, you couldn't possibly destroy these jeans. And so, you know, if they went through that kind of wear testing, I could tell you they were really good, but wow. he came and bought another pair. It was like <laughs> the last pair I had. And he was like, you know, I'm trying to, talk me into selling them to him. And I was like, <laughs> did you give them to him? I sold did you them. sold them to him? Yeah, it yeah. did. You did. It yeah. did. Were they the last pair? They were the last pair in the okay. color. In that, that color. Yeah, in that color. Wow. Olive. I love that color. story. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, again, you he couldn't live without these pants to <laughs> trim trees in. <laughs> it was trimming trees in these <laughs> pants. Um, and I get it, actually. I really do it's get it after, yeah, yeah, after doing it. So, okay. So they can come to the studio mm-hmm. and... Um, for right now, where they can find that, um, you, we have a newsletter we have on our website. You can mm-hmm. find um, uh, this information. For, mm-hmm. uh, for You say Ugar, not Hugar. Ugar, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that is a, what, Spanish? Mm-hmm. Spanish name? Play. What, what does it mean? Play. It means play. Ugar. I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, um, but you're going to be on here more. We're going to be doing mm-hmm. an event at Hald Halls on January 27th, having an open house type of feel, and you're going to be bringing some of your line there mm-hmm. so people can test this out and buy it mm-hmm. <laughs> and have a great time and we're going to be doing these on the regular basis so um you guys if you would want to know more uh, about this clothing line please check this out uh, there'll be in, of course if you listen to this podcast it's on our website um you can go to eventbrite and you look up ugar which is spelled j-u-u-g-a-r J-U-G-A-R. Yeah. J-U-G-A-R. J-U-G-A-R. Hugar. It's a beautiful line. And uh, I just, I, I so admire this type of creativity and, and just, uh, it's beautiful work. So thank you for coming today. Thanks for having me. I really do. And I'm looking forward to this other podcast and talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> He's, we have some really good conversations. You're just a really cool person. So thank you for showing up. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. You've been listening to the Open Door podcast series. The Open Door is part of the Cocoon, the creative action centers of online open source networks. Tune in weekly, where we share ideas on consciousness, health, and creativity. Together, we are taking action where the 99% transform into 100%.